0: Okay, I am back with another episode of the Edward Mullen Podcast. I haven't had a lot of time to do the podcast lately. I've been really busy. I have my new book coming out. It's called Destiny and Free Will. It's essentially an exploration into the belief that everything happens for a reason, a topic that is near and dear to my heart. I um, talk about things like synchronicity and serendipity and luck and karma and... Uh, determinism, so it's a little bit more of the philosophical stuff. So if you're into that and you're into, you know, reading about things like what is the meaning of life, and uh, you believe that everything happens for a reason, and you like, you know, the notion of free will, you'll definitely want to check this out because I explore those concepts in a very real and objective way. You know, so I think at the very least it'll be an entertaining and interesting read nonetheless. So you can pick that up anywhere really. It's uh, available on Amazon uh, and any of the major ebook stores. This week on the Edward Mullen Podcast, I was fortunate enough to sit down with a cop and essentially pick his brain on a bunch of topics that have been on my mind, such as police corruption, Occupy Wall Street, and stuff like that. So without further ado, I bring to you the Edward Mullen Podcast, Episode 9. All right, so thank you so much for meeting with me today. I really appreciate it. And um, you know, before we get into the nitty gritty, I just want to maybe start off with some basic questions. Um, how long have you been a cop for?
1: Been uh, right now, three years and eight months. Okay, and what do you do uh, for the RCMP? Uh, right now, I'm a general duty officer. Okay, what kind of levels are there? Do you
0: have to start off at, like uh, you know, traffic and? no no tri- you know, usually so, yeah.
1: mo- most of the time people start off with uh, general duty so they're working in a detachment doing just uh, calls so any any sorts of calls like. so do you do like
0: uh, like do you get your own car who who gets the cars like do you get like do you have partners? Well, and... uh,
1: when you first start out uh, you're on what's called RFT which is uh, basically on the job training uh, and, and that's lasts for six months. Um, so within that six months, you get a partner, which is your trainer. And, uh, whenever you see an RCMP vehicle and there's two people in it, well, that's when you know that one of them is a recruit.
0: Okay. So, and, and what's the difference? This is probably a really stupid question
1: and I probably know the answer. What's the difference between RCMP and Vancouver PD? So RCMP is a federal police, uh, uh force and Vancouver is a provincial so basically uh, whichever city doesn't have their own uh, police force they actually hire RCMP to do that job so it's a contract so for example Vancouver they have their own police force they don't need RCMP that's why there's Vancouver police and their you know boundaries wherever it is uh, I think it's boundary to Blanca and Uh, all the way south and north uh, all the way to the waters and the rcmp uh just help out is that the idea uh well it's basically the same deal as uh, vancouver they'll have one jurisdiction one city to take care of oh so generally
0: speaking rcmp are not going around vancouver arresting people it's places like richmond for instance who don't have their own police department icc and um is it is it
1: more difficult to become an RCMP? Are harder requirements? It's almost the same um, be- with RCMP or VBD. It's like the requirement levels are pretty similar. Um, it just takes a little longer for RCMP because of the training. We have to actually head out to uh, Regina in um, Saskatchewan there and uh, do a six months uh, training. So. And so what, like
0: I heard it's pretty difficult to become an RCMP. They have a very stringent, like uh, policy on who they let in and there's like psychological valuations and yep. physical valuations. Yep. Can you talk a little bit about that?
1: Yeah. There's a lot of, um, basically steps that you have to take before you can actually become hired on as a trainee. Um, so for example, um, you'd have to, uh, have at least a grade 12 education they do recommend you have post secondary they have a very strict um, uh, physical aptitude test that they do uh, it's called the pair um, so that's a police aptitude um, physical aptitude uh, exam you have to pass uh, within a certain time limit as well as uh, requirements of um, being able to I guess simulate a struggle between you know two people or trying to um it's basically kind of like a weight that that they get you to carry and push and pull on so you're saying there's not like um like a mock fight of two people that attack you there's no mock fight okay that that all happens in training okay after you get uh accepted as a trainee and um yeah there's also a psychological test. There's also um, a written uh, aptitude test, as well as interviews.
0: So, yeah, the interview is, is something that I've heard about, where you have, like, uh, they, they do a pretty thorough background check, and they ask you, They mm-hmm. I think they hook you up to a lie detector, is that correct? hmm And they just ask you everything and anything. Yep. What are some of the questions that they would come up with?
1: Well, I can't actually disclose them okay. uh, due to uh, the what i've signed sure okay Uh, it's just you know future applicants or anybody that's listening could you know take that and use it as an advantage Uh, okay so but but generally they would ask
0: things that you might be uncomfortable answering you know in terms of you know things that might embarrass you or things that might um you know uh incriminate you maybe in some ways could and it could and what is the right answer in those situations like um is it known after the, the like you know what what they're looking for are they looking for you to be a
1: truth teller or someone who's squeaky clean well um generally that's up to the person who's giving you that um so called lie detector test um of course being truthful is part of it and um you know some things they'll let go some things they won't Right, and you know it just really depends on how serious, uh, you know, what you disclose is, right? Right, and you know I have heard of people, um, you know, definitely getting kicked out just because of you know what they disclose, and you know that's a, that's each person's prerogative, I guess. You know, you know, you say something. You gotta back it up or explain it, right? So, can can the lie detectors be uh, beaten? Um, I've heard of it being able to be beaten, but for the most part, it's not so much of the actual lie detector. It's actually the person who's giving you that um, that test. So, basically, the um, I guess you could say the lie detector expert. He's always watching, and he's always evaluating you. Um, and I think that's the more important thing. It's not the actual machine itself. So really, so
0: you're saying the the whole kind of setup of having a guy there, uh, you know, things cut to you, you know, mm-hmm. things moving. Uh, he, you know, that might make a person actually more nervous than they otherwise would be, and. When people lie, they generally I, I don't know, maybe you can tell me if, if you've learned about this like they're, they're, you know their heart races faster oh. and if they're trying to conceal something mm-hmm. and a guy, even if there's nothing that shows up here, the guy will maybe look at them in a certain way to try to
1: expose their lie right to, to, to bring it out well um, is that true? in some sense, in some cases, yes. And um, I, I'd say like from my background in uh, psychology. I have learned about this stuff, like lie detector tests and um, things like that. Um, basically, what they do is they get you to do a couple of questions that determine a baseline. This is your nervous level and everything that's, um, you know, it technically it gives you it gives you basically a bottom line where your level of nervousness is and then afterwards when they start asking you those questions um, it's actually a booklet that they give you and there's a whole bunch of questions that you fill out and they'll basically ask you every question that you filled out and based on that that base level baseline that's where they determine if you're truthful
0: or not right so ask you your name your address exactly and then figure out and then any anomaly from there yep. is something mm-hmm. to look at. Exactly. And what percentage of accuracy is that? So if you spike on something, is that a guaranteed lie? Is it, is it better to...
1: Well, um, during the application part, it's it's not an actual criminal uh, polygraph. Um, they actually don't look as strictly on whether you're lying or not. Okay. It's basically whether you're telling a truth. So it's kind of like... Um, It's almost having a conversation with someone, right? It's giving you some sort of idea of what this person is thinking, uh, whether they're being completely truthful or not, right? And I don't think it necessarily tells you if you're telling the truth or telling a lie, like black and white kind of thing. Okay, so your advice to people
0: that might want to become an RCMP officer is just to tell the truth and...
1: Well, Hope for the I, best because i really can't advise them sure, to do sure. anything right but of course i think most of the time is telling the truth is the way to go right i mean each person to their own i mean there's a lot of guys that probably haven't told everything right i can't speak for them right
0: you know some of some of these shows like CSI and stuff like they're kind of grossly exaggerated where they have this computer
1: database with everybody's fingerprint and, and profile and yeah, and face. it's it's quite over exaggerated with CSI like that that kind of stuff. Yeah, they have computer systems that can do that. However, we don't have access to that, so we would have to actually go um, request something like that. From who? What company has that? Um, it's actually a database in. Um, I believe it's in Ottawa. It's basically the national offenders database, and those are usually all criminal. Um, it's basically a criminal database, and they'll have fingerprints and everything on there. So, if you are looking for
0: me, for instance, uh, and there like, is, I am obviously on the record for you know paying taxes mm-hmm. and uh, maybe you know um, cell phone bills and and you know internet bills isn't it isn't there a database where you can just search me and figure out from the government to figure out where i live and what what kind of credit cards i have in my name is there anything like that well um
1: technically yes there is however we don't have access to it and you could only get access if you had a court that would be right? yeah that would be something that's government related and probably if if somebody was to look you up most likely it would be CRA tax people oh, okay. right something that you know if they had to you know if you're doing fraud or something right, right, right. that that's how they would try to track you down
0: you know have you learned anything different or is there any kind of perception that you had of becoming a cop that
1: has now changed since you <laughs> became a cop yeah there there is um you know when you first when actually when everyone thinks, oh, you're being a cop, it's, oh, you know, you're always out there, you're always running around, driving fast car, and, you know, going to calls, but in in actuality, when, when it comes down to it, it's actually a lot of paperwork, because after every call that we do, we have to write reports, and, you know, on a regular shift, you can get, you know, 20, 30 reports to write, and yeah. it takes up a lot of time, and that's probably the most time-consuming part of our job it's not the actual you know action that, that does that you're doing okay because probably for every every 10 minutes of action you have you probably have about 45 to an hour of paperwork
0: Wow so what so, what sorts of um, what's an average day for you like is it like uh, like robberies or cats stuck in a tree or like is it just random boring stuff or is it pretty like high-speed chases, shootouts.
1: Well, um, it really depends on the city. Um, for example, if you're you're in say Surrey, I'm gonna assume that you're gonna have a lot of assaults. You're gonna have a lot of uh, robberies, thefts, you know, es things like that. If you're in say North Van, probably more of traffic incidents, uh, complaints of you know noise complaints. Um, no, is—it's really kind of varies with, like, every city and every part of a city, too. Like, certain areas will get certain types of calls, and other areas will get other calls, right? I mean, uh, for example, I work at UBC, and uh, during Wednesday nights, Friday, and Saturday nights, those are usually the biggest nights for fights, drunk people on the streets, um... A lot of traffic incidents with drinking and driving, um, frat parties, you know, that kind of thing. Noise complaints. You won't see many. Um, I would say bank robberies or like high speed kind of racing. Uh, we do get a few of them here and there, but you know, it's it's different for every city. Um, like, we, yeah, it's it's not very many like kind of robberies or hold-ups or anything like that it's more of you, you see a lot of university students on campus so a lot of thefts a lot of um you know sad to say but sex assaults. a lot of that happens on on uh, campus as
0: well what do you mean by that like somebody uh comes out of the woods and attacks somebody oh it's just or it's just like they're on a date and
1: most of, the times, risky. most of the times, most of the times that that's, that's basically what it is. Right. And, uh, you know, both parties are intoxicated. They had some, some drinks, they go back and things happen and maybe, you know, one person or the other regrets it and they report it and that we, we get a lot of that. Are, and,
0: is it, um, part of the law that if somebody reports something like that and then later, you know, um, you know, recants and say, hey, you know what? I changed my mind. I don't want to press charges that the, the government or the police are required to press charges. Is that...
1: We're not required. Okay. Um, we do have uh, discretion. Uh, especially with uh, with um, how we deal with sex assaults on, on uh, UBC property. Like, there's a lot of times that that'll happen. Or something will happen and say, the girl will say something to the police just to make the you know the guy in trouble not, not necessarily because the guy was wrong it's maybe because the girl you know felt that you know she was so called used and okay. then you know dumped right and we we try to get all the parties in we interview everyone we still do a very thorough job of investigating before we decide What the what the action will be, right? Whether to charge or not to charge or whatever it may be, right? And of course, we get all the parties um, to talk, right? And that's the main main thing, making sure that we have the full story before we do anything.
0: I would imagine that in a lot of situations, you get calls from people and they embellish the facts because maybe they want to feel like, you know, they want you to believe their story more or they want to justify the reason why they called you so or they maybe want to get somebody in trouble so they you know add on details and you know how do you suss out whether somebody's telling the truth or not in that situation
1: that that really comes uh, clear when we do interview them because for every interview that we do we always warn them before we do any interviews saying that you know if you say anything that we find is untrue, or is leading the police to do a full investigation, and is found that it was completely a lie, they could be charged with what's called public mischief, which is basically making the police investigate something that, in actuality, there wasn't anything that should have been investigated.
0: Is it, um, the case that, uh, you, you know, since you're around, uh, criminal activity much more than the average person that it's kind of tainted your vision, your kind of, um, so-called jaded. Yeah, exactly. Uh,
1: you know, to tell you the truth, probably a little bit, um, you probably look at a lot of things that happen, um, a little bit differently from the average person, um, you know, yeah, I, I, w- I would say I'm slightly jaded uh, just, just because of dealing with uh, so many so-called criminals um, and just dealing with them. However, of course, you have friends and family that are always supporting you, right? And I guess it kind of pulls you back away from that uh, completely jaded stance of, you know, oh, that guy's a criminal or, you know, walking by and it's like oh, kind of judging them. Right. I mean, it, it'll happen regardless if you want it to know, or want it or not. But you know, you try your best to be, you know, neutral in what you you think before
0: you go into a situation. Right. Considering you've gone like most of your life not being a cop, and then you know a portion of your life you have been a cop. Do you see a difference between you know when you put on that uniform and you talk to someone? They 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 talk differently. They behave differently. They maybe. You know, like I would, I'd imagine you make them nervous and, or they, they, even somebody who's like guilty, they try to bullshit you. And then, you know, you've probably seen it so often. You're like, you know what, you can see through people so easily because every, every criminal kind of behaves the same, I would imagine. Right.
1: Yeah. Well, I think human interaction is, is very clear when you kind of have a feel for it. So like, like you said, I mean, I haven't been a cop all my life. Right. I mean majority of it was not um I think most of the time it's well I guess just uh talking with my own friends like that I've known before I became a cop like I, I've noticed that after I became one they've kind of changed right you kind of feel that they're always a little bit um uneasy or almost kind of on edge um yeah and you know it, it it happens all the time like i'll get introduced to somebody new that i've never met before and it will be going all right and you know everything's you know normal so-called normal and then they find out i'm a cop and then they're kind of like oh kind of you know I gotta watch what i say and you know what i do things like that right i mean it does change people when when, when you know oh That that person is a cop. You know, I gotta watch my my actions, words, and everything, right?
0: Right. I think like when I was growing up, the general sentiment where where police officers were friendly, they're here to protect you, and they're you know honest and they're good people, and then as you get older you see so many examples of, you know, gross misuses of power. What do you think the general sentiment is of the, the people? Do you think people treat cops as uh you know they're on their side they're they're friendly trying to protect people or do you think they're just people that are out to arrest them for no reason and if you try to mess with them they'll invent some something because you, you have tools essentially the laws are written deliberately vague so you can apply like oh this is a i think you mentioned earlier some uh, a public mis- misdemeanor or public mischief, mischief or, yeah. yeah something like that mm-hmm. so you kind of you have ways to get people on on anything really sure yeah, true, true enough um, so then, so people that might be intimidated to talk to you because they might incriminate themselves in some way, right? True enough.
1: Um, I can, it, it, it's hard to say, uh, really, because it really depends on how a person has grown up, right? I mean, if you've grown up in the States, I think there are a lot more pro-police, you know, oh, we'll go with the police and what, what they say, and, uh, you know, they're here for our protection. But up here, it's a little different. I think with, I guess, all the media, it actually misconstrues a lot of things that happen. Um, I'm just going to bring up a whole bunch of, I guess, incidents that have happened, like Vancouver beating up, uh, you know, innocent person because they thought they were drug um, drug house or something like that. Um, the Dzinski case. I mean, what, what was that, that one again? That was taser one at the airport. Okay, yeah, yeah. So that one... I think a lot of people see that and say, oh, police are using too much force.
0: To be fair, I watched that video, and that guy was... I don't know, I mean, he was... In my case, in my experience, if you have a bunch of police officers, and I, I can't remember the video, but I believe they had their weapons drawn, at least tasers drawn, and you're acting erratic... Uh, then you should be very careful because mm-hmm. yep. something bad could happen, right? So yep. I, I kind of side with the, the police in that situation mm-hmm. because this guy was being irate and a lunatic and they don't know because generally speaking, correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, from what I'm told that police officers see society basically in three different ways. They see criminals, uh, law-abiding citizens that they want to protect, and then uh, their own kind of staff, like right? their own kind of uh, people, right? Mm-hmm. So when you... when a, a police officer meets somebody they have to immediately try to categorize what he's like is this somebody i have to help mm-hmm. but when you're acting erratic and crazy and throwing chairs and you're at an airport and there's already kind of this uh you know heightened kind of yeah exactly right uh you have to treat that situation as, as very dire right mm-hmm. yeah so he immediately becomes in the crazy loony bin criminal category so you don't, you know what I mean? Like, is, is that generally true? Like, how you kind of well, categorize I, people I like think
1: that? I think it's generally true. Uh, however, we do have um, training, which gives us, like, uh, basically a continuum of, of a person's actions. So if we interact with someone, for example, myself acting with you, and we're categorizing you as, you know, no threat. Right. And then you start to, you know, verbalize, you start to you know, lash out verbally at us. That bumps it up a level, right? That gives us kind of a I guess kind of where you sit within that continuum of our actions towards you. Right. Right. Say you bump that up another level and we see that you start to clench up your fists and start swearing at us and you know, continuing To, you know, kind of be aggressive. That bumps it up another level. And in that case, our mindset is okay, this guy is starting to escalate. And we can see that through that continuum that we've been taught and we, you know, refer to. And, you know, there's further ones. And that comes up to, you know, you're starting to, you know, verbalize even more you're starting to scream you're starting to you know pick up stuff and starting to throw it that kind of bumps it up another notch right and it keeps on going until basically we have to use lethal force and that's definitely on the very high threat side of the continuum and I think that's what they have like every police officer is basically taught that and and Whenever it gets to a certain point, of course, each police officer views certain threats as different because, of course, you're still human, right? And I think, you know, during that time with the taser incident there, I believe that, you know, the officers at that time felt the threat was very real and therefore had to taser him. And, you know, and it went down just as that. Of course, you know, the media can misconstrues a lot of that and says, oh, he wasn't, uh, you know, that crazy. And, you know, media doesn't doesn't know the training that we've had. Or the prior situations that you've exactly. been in. Exactly. Yeah, and, yeah. and, you know, the video that there sh- is, they were showing um, might have been cut, spliced, you know, cut to fit what the media wants to show. Right. right? I mean, media, I, I've always been taught, even when I was in university that media doesn't always tell you the truth and you know psychology and everything that kind of mindset it's the masses right it, they'll do whatever they they need to do to sell right. right I mean media is really they're out there to sell news right they, they want the most exciting or the most attention grabbing kind of right. headline right and I think those things those things are the things that really, you know, grabs from the people's attention.
0: Yeah. Nothing's more apparent than that. Like when they report on something that I actually know quite well, yeah. you can see how much yep. it's, it's exactly. off. So when I report a stuff that I don't know very well, I have to assume that there's at least yep, exactly. a portion of that
1: that's not true. Right? So a lot of people take it as, as, at, at face value, right? Right. They, they don't go and investigate. They don't go in and research that kind of issue, right? A lot of times we'll see um we'll see that, oh, there's a case that we we were working on, and it's in the newspaper, and we're looking at it, and they've left out half of the investigation right and it's you, you see that and you're like, well, you just shrug your shoulders right it's you can't really do anything about it. I mean it's freedom of speech right.
0: When you're going through the like the psychological evaluation, is, has it always been, do you know, this, the same kind of test from, say, 20 years ago? Because there seems to be a lot of kind of arrogant cops that maybe are out to, you know, in, enforce their authority. And it's either that they weren't that way and they became that way, or they were always that way and they just kind of slipped through the cracks. Considering what you told me, it seems like that's the type of person that you would want to uh, prohibit from being a cop. They would be weeded out. Mm -hmm. or at least in most cases and then some people would sneak through and uh you know what i'm referring to there's there's more cases in the states where you know there's cops um you know pepper spraying uh kids i mean what's the point of that this this whole occupy wall street movement you have you know one percent let's assume one percent of america is rich and elite and they have a lot of money and they are i don't know what The consensus is, but they're basically, you know, the the 99% saying it's not fair for some Mm -hmm. reason. And there's protests. And then these cops come in and start pepper spraying folks. Yet the cops are actually among the people. The cops aren't rich themselves. Mm -hmm. They're not, they're not, there's, there seems to be no reason why they're protecting the 1% so much. Mm -hmm. And then it occurred to me, there's a news clip on the other day that showed these... Uh, two kids working at a Best Buy and some guy ran out with a stereo system and they chased him down and and tackled him and, and tried to get the merchandise back and and this is you know um, not really relevant but they were actually let go for doing that mm-hmm. that's why the, there's a news story about it and um they were reporting on the news that they uh, just wanted to do their job and to apprehend these guys and I started thinking to myself, well, why would they put themselves at risk for an $8 an hour job or something like that? And the reason why they would do that is because they're part of this kind of team mentality. Maybe mm-hmm. the same thing as a cop. They're part of, they're defending the country and you have an unruly mob and you're protecting the people that are not unruly, yeah. even though maybe it's warranted, right? If there is a corrupt government, if everybody just got on board with this movement, I'm not trying to start a revolution. I'm just saying you could overthrow a corrupt government. The only people standing in your way are the cops, but the cops, if they actually truly think about it, should be on the side of the 99%. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Can you answer to why cops maybe act overly aggressive and they maybe, you know, is that a part of like this team mentality or they corrupt with power? Can you, can you speak to that at all? Or
1: I think I'll, well, what I'll, I'll do is start off with uh, basically what a cop may think. Now, when you're actually hired to do training and to go through, you know, six months, one year training, basically, you have people that are consistently telling you, you have to be assertive, you have to assert your authority, Uh, you have to be a type A personality, so you have to be, you know, pretty leadership role, right, because you're there, you're doing a job, and you need to know the law, right? And I think that is almost ingrained into the training and it's always hammered into you saying, you know what, you got to be assertive. If you're not assertive, people walk all over you, right? And I do believe that there's a lot of people out there that are regular people that will walk all over somebody regardless if they're a cop or not, right? And, you know, I think it's with any job and uh, you You hire enough people, you're going to get, you know, groups of people like that. You're going to get people who are, you know, mindset of, oh, I'm going to, you know, assert my authority on them because I know more or I'm in a higher position than them, right? And I think that partly is it, is is ingrained in that as well. Uh, It's not just one specific thing that'll make them exert this aggressive kind of, authority figure, I'm always right, kind of arrogant style that you've been talking about. And I think that's what stands out more in people's minds when they see it. Um, You know, if, if, say, you're interacting with 10 different cops, if you interact with two or three that are very arrogant and in your face kind of, you know, this is what I'm going to do and whether you like it or not kind of kind of um style and the seven others are you know very you know friendly cop you know when you're a kid you you see them and you're like oh you know interaction is all good you're just speaking and i think what's going to stick out more in your mind is the three arrogant ones because that's a negative kind of interaction with them and it kind of sticks out more right and i think I don't know if you've heard like of studies where you know when you ever have a positive interaction with something or someone, it doesn't stick out as much. Yeah, you yeah. know, and and people you know go on their day and not think too much about it. But whenever something negative happens, somebody says, "Oh, had a bad day," and you know I dealt with this kind of person. You automatically want to tell someone about it, right? You want to kind of get it out there. Right. And, and I think that
0: partly plays into it as well. So is there anything people can do if they're feeling like, um, you know, for instance, um, I've seen there's, I, I'm, I'm not really obsessed with this, but I, I kind of watch a lot of videos on um, cops mis, uh, misusing their power mm-hmm. and they will uh, basically, and this, you know, to be fair, probably comes from the States, but um, uh, they will, you know, arrest people for having a video camera when it's not illegal to have a video camera or they'll tell people to shut up when it's not illegal to speak or they'll tell people to, to disperse when there is a peaceful assembly. You know, we have a right to that. And, um, unlawful search and seizure. I see that, um, online where they will, uh, create a reason, like, um, create a reason to search your vehicle and then they'll incriminate you. Mm -hmm. And, And there's actually a video online. It's a quite a good one um, basically it 's an hour long video, so it's it's it 's long but basically the first half of the video is a lawyer and he 's telling you the ten reasons why you should never ever ever interact with a cop never uh, speak to a cop mm-hmm. and he 's saying like you know uh, scenario a either you 're you know guilty and that, and you and uh and you committed a crime you shouldn 't talk to a cop because you might slip up always get your lawyer uh scenario b you 're completely innocent you weren 't even there you 're in a totally different city you still shouldn 't talk to a cop because and he outlines it. Uh, because you could not in, in, uh, unintentionally incriminate yourself. And then the last half of the video is actually like a police sergeant, high level, and he's like, yeah, I, I agree with everything this lawyer says. You shouldn't talk to us, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. So how do, you, how do you deal with that? I mean, if you come up with a, a scenario where you're just, um, let's say, you know, driving a nice car, you're a young guy driving a nice car, mm-hmm. uh, you get pulled over, immediately cops are trying to mess with you. They think you're a criminal. Maybe they think you have... Uh, drugs on you and they're going to try to mess with you and try to maybe overstep their bounds. Is there anything that you can do? Like, you know, because you don't necessarily want to get into an I know my rights battle with them. I I mean, maybe you do. I don't know. What do you do in that situation?
1: I I think the main thing you want to do is be courteous. I mean, a lot of us uh, cops, we really gauge interaction on how the person interacts with us. Right? If we stop some somebody and they are spouting off right away then that kind of that kind of gets us on edge right we think okay well you're you're on edge as well there must be something there that you're angry about and you don't want us to know about and i think that just gives us a little more purpose to you know so called mess with you right i mean we we'd be looking for things right because that kind of like I said, the continuum doesn't just um, it. It's not just threat levels, right? There's a continuum also for how we interact with people, right? If we feel that oh, you're you know you're generally good, you're not doing much, you know you slipped up, you went over the speed limit by you know ten, right? Big deal. But you know if you go over the speed limit and we pull you over and you start spunning off well we're thinking why are you spouting off now we're just you know we could have just given you a warning but now that you've spouted off maybe there's something else in there right maybe there's something else that's you know we should be looking for and it kind of gets us thinking right and i don't know like where that video is from but i've never seen it but you know yes and no it could be true don't talk to cops but you know that's the mentality right if you don't have any problems you don't call the cops but when you do you call them is it true that um cops have quotas
0: not your general duty no because because that should be inherently like a conflict of interest True enough. Do you know what I'm saying? True it no. seems a little greasy. For instance, I was driving back from downtown to Richmond. I used to live in Richmond, mm-hmm. and I was in a nice car. I'm a young-looking guy. I had a tank top on. It was, you know, midnight. It was really hot as a summer. I'm, I think I just came back from a nightclub. I had a tank top on. I took my shirt off or whatever, and I had a my drunk girlfriend in the passenger seat. That mm-hmm. didn't look. And I got pulled over. And I wasn't. And I deliberately, I knew this didn't look good. So I, the whole time <laughs> I was going home, I was going you know, 50, that's the speed limit, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so, so the whole time I'm, I'm being very safe lane, uh, signals, everything. Mm-hmm. And for some reason I got pulled over. No, no problem. I've got nothing to hide. I'm not drunk. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, the vehicle's registered in my name. There should be no problems in this situation. Mm-hmm. And there wasn't, the cop said, Oh, um, he, he went away, sat in his car for 20 minutes and he came back. He's like, I'm going to issue a warning. Mm-hmm. But, but a warning for what? There's nothing. I didn't do anything wrong. So now I've got a warning on my record. The next time I was going down um, uh, Granville and I I I I actually like the speed limit. I go the speed limit. I, I used to have a, an SUV, and I find that if you if you drive faster, it kills your gas. So I just drive the speed limit, mm-hmm. and I have no problem. It doesn't feel you know. I, I, I'm not in a rush. One instance, you know, Granville's very narrow streets, and there's one instance where this guy was driving erratically, kind of encroaching into my lane, and I had a choice to make to stay behind him the whole trip or to temporarily speed up and get him behind me. So that's what I decided to do. I sped up for maybe 100 feet, and then I slowed down. I got pulled over for speeding, and the the, it, the cop just issued me a ticket right away, didn't hear my side of the story. And it might be because I got pulled over previously, For in Richmond, which is not fair because I I wasn't speeding in Richmond and I barely sped. I I was speeding, let's be honest, but ordinarily I don't speed. And Mm. that just one section I was speeding, but he didn't really hear me out. It it seemed like, you know what I mean? Like it seemed like it wasn't fair because maybe Mm. they're profiling me from the Richmond incident. And and what can you do in that situation? Well,
1: I'll start out right now uh, with any warnings. uh, Usually, even if it's written warnings, it actually doesn't go on your record at all. Oh, it doesn't show up at all anywhere. Uh, the only reason that it would show up is if you actually get a ticket, or they actually write a report. And usually they won't write any reports if it's if there is nothing, uh, like if it was just a written warning saying, you know, slow down or whatever, right? It's usually just paper that you know we can chuck out, right? The only things that you will need to, that that will actually show up is like. Uh, they call a notice and an order to fix something. Say your taillight's broken, right? Not not from, you know, getting kicked out or something. But um, if it's actually out, then they could issue that to, you know, get it fixed, right? That would show up and it would be taken off once you get it repaired. Okay. And if you get a ticket for speeding, yes, that will show up and it'll show up as a ticket for speeding. You can say that some cops do have quotas however these would be most likely the traffic cops and usually their quota is from their supervisors which you know require them to get a certain amount of tickets for the month and that's just to fulfill their mandate which is to of of the traffic section to keep people safe on the roads and i think that's how they justify having a quota. It's not really even, you know, oh, we write, you know, a certain amount of tickets and the revenue is going to go straight back into, you know, our pockets kind of thing. That actually doesn't happen. It actually, all that money that's paid for tickets and fines, that actually goes to the province. That doesn't, that, doesn't even touch. So you're saying the cop has no incentive to get that money because no, it doesn't. Really, tr- does it trickle no.
0: back in? Well, the higher wages say,
1: for the police officers. You can say yes. It kind of, in a sense, trickles back into you know provincial wages and you know how how we're paid. But it's not it's not a direct like cor- correlation with it. Okay. Right. It has nothing to do with you know oh having to write tickets meaning we're we're going to get more you know more funding. But don't you think it's a little
0: bit of a conflict of interest? I mean, you can't have the people issuing the tickets incentivized to issue tickets because then they're likely going to, you know, write tickets in situations that may not warrant a ticket. And that's not in the best interest of the people, which the police are supposed to be there to serve.
1: Yeah, I I see your point there. And, um, you know, sometimes, yeah, it, it, it may be unfair, but... I mean, you've you've probably seen it, where you're driving along and, you know, you get pulled over for doing, you know, 10 over. And then, you know, two minutes later, you see a guy just blow by you at, like, you know, 20 over. You're like, well, why didn't that guy get a ticket, right? I mean, we're still human. Uh, we can't catch everything. And, you know, sooner or later, I'm sure that guy will be caught, um, regardless of, you know... How many times he blows by you, right? Um, sometimes, yeah, tell you the truth, it's being in the wrong place at the wrong time, right? I mean, I think everyone's done that once or twice, you know, being in the wrong place at the wrong time. And, you know, you get either you get in car accident or you get pulled over or, you know, you missed an opportunity. When cops sit, like
0: on, when you come across uh, Richmond, like across the, uh, Ar- um, I forget the bridge, the. Ninth Street? Arthur Lang. Arthur Lang. I, Arthur Lang. Mm-hmm. And then uh, you round kind of, I guess, Southwest Marine Drive. It's been a while since I've yep. thrown up there. Yep. And then you round the corner and it's like kind of Granville and then there's like the Shell gas station. Yep. Well, that whole stretch is like uh, HOV Lane, as far as I can remember. And cops will sit there as you come around the corner and they'll, they'll nab you because you're just one guy. Mm hmm. You're one guy in an H O V lane. This has, hasn't happened to me, but um, when I go to school at U B C, yeah. they constantly sit there and they just get people all mm-hmm. day. It's like, come on, are you really? Are these the criminals? Have you have you solved all the the, the organized crime yet? Have you done all the all that you can do with with uh, you know corporate crime? This is petty. Leave mm-hmm. leave people in the H O V alone lane alone. That's what i my mm-hmm. my thinking. It's like there's murder still out there. Focus your efforts on those people. Well, it, it kind of aggravates
1: me. Yeah, I I can. I can see where you're coming from. And, uh, you know, yeah, I can understand we should put our efforts into, you know, all these other, other, uh, you know, like corporate crime and murders and gangsters and stuff like that. However, with the motor vehicle laws, we're required to uphold them as well. And we do sometimes on occasion get uh, pressure from our supervisors to write more tickets, right, to really get that experience up, right? Um, for me, I'm not a traffic kind of guy. I don't like pulling people over. Uh, I only pull them over if it's basically like n- like a necessary thing to do because somebody needs to quote-unquote learn a lesson because of their driving habits, right? right? Um, and I think when you actually go do traffic stops and you're giving people tickets or talking to them during those, you know, pull, you pull people over, it actually, it actually helps in dealing with other things in our job. Um, because you never know who you're going to be pulling over. It could be, you know, John Doe, regular Joe Citizen kind of person, or it could be a gangster, right? I mean, gangsters will still need to drive cars. And I think that all is incorporated in, in what we do as a whole. Near UBC, we have a lot of problems with drinking and driving. And also drugs. on of marijuana. Okay? A lot of people, a lot of students, they ha- always have marijuana. You know, they're smoking when they you know, drive. That's actually, actually considered impaired when you smoke marijuana and drive. Okay? We catch a lot of those. And, you know, yeah, you know, regular person driving, no, no problems. Yeah, they'll get pulled over once or twice because we're always looking for certain people. I know that um, there's a lot of new drivers out there as well. They don't like to put their new driver signs up and they drive three or four people. The laws state that, you know, if you're a new driver, you can only drive one other person. And that's for their own safety because they're inexperienced, right? And it's all that kind of stuff that incorporates into the whole bigger issue, right? I mean it's not just traffic. We're gonna go out there and, you know, sit there and wait for somebody to do something wrong. It's partly to do with that, but it's not all of it, right? It's it's basically to it's basically to train ourselves as well, right? When we're going out there, we're interacting with people. We're not just going there from call to call, you know. Being, we're being proactive as well, you know, because we do get a lot of file work coming from pulling somebody over, whether it be a gangster or regular citizen or student, right? It there's a lot of uh, factors that uh, go into it when we uh, pull someone over.
0: Do you guys ever uh, profile people? Like, I know I have uh, young friends of mine, or they, uh, you know, they're not that young, but say twenty-five. And they drive really nice cars, and they constantly get pulled over. And then maybe they will switch their car, and they get an average Joe car, and they never get pulled over. It's like whenever I drive this car, I get pulled over like mm-hmm. four times a month. So, what's up with that? I mean, well, um, you have to. When somebody drives by in a hundred thousand dollar car and he looks twenty-five, does that arouse suspicion? And that's enough for you to, to arrest them? Or not arrest them, uh, uh, put the lights on and pull them over? Well, or because um, it's quite common in Vancouver, wouldn't you say?
1: I would say it's very common, um, even at UBC. There's a lot of students there, you know, 20, 21, 22. Like, they're driving really nice cars. Like, I'm not saying, like, uh, you know, just a regular BMW or, or like, uh, Benz. Yeah. I'm talking, like, Lamborghinis, Maseratis, <clears throat> the higher-end ones. Right. Right um like these cars are obviously not theirs they've obviously gotten somebody to buy it for them and registered everything in their name because what 21-year-old will drive a car and go to school with it with like that kind of car right i mean it's not possible right so is the
0: assumption that it's it's through illegal means or that they have rich parents it's
1: not it's not that's not our mindset right we're thinking okay well this person is driving, obviously, driving a nice car. He's probably a little reckless because it's not his. He probably didn't buy it. We do have sort of a mindset like that. We also do do think, okay, so this person drives a nice car. He's probably got a little money. And probably wouldn't hurt him if he was issued a ticket. I think a lot of cops do think that way. I know it sounds bad and everything, but... So, so is it resentful? It's a, like, little bit, a little bit of a mindset that I think every cop would have. And not only cops. I would say, you know, the average person driving around. So do they get... see a little person there? Probably a little bit, you know, jealous or whatever. Right. right? But I think when it comes down to it, your regular police officer would still have the discretion to pull someone over or not. Right? So,
0: what's a speeding ticket like? 125 bucks or something like that? Depends on how much. Okay. You speed. So, okay. So, uh, somebody who is speeding 10 kilometers over the speed limit in a Lamborghini, 110 bucks or whatever is nothing to them. Is there a, a levy that you could make it hurt their bank account the same way it would hurt average Joe who's making 30 grand a year? Uh, you
1: know. Unfortunately, with the motor vehicle laws, there isn't really a, a way to do that. I mean, it's basically a flat rate.
0: If you dispute a ticket, if, if uh, correct me if I'm wrong, if you go and the cop doesn't show up, you're automatically absolved from that. Is that true? Basically. And then, so, what percentage of cops actually show up to those,
1: do, do you know? I would say a, a majority of uh, police officers will attend court um, as... Most of the time, uh, supervisors will require you to go uh, because they, it's actually they'll try to schedule you on when you're on shift. So, during that shift, and you have to go to court, then you go to court, come back, and don't go on with your day. And, um, yeah, sometimes things do happen and you can't show up, and that's probably where you've heard of a lot of people getting off because the police officer didn't show up, right. So what, what can you do in situations
0: where you know, a cop is messing with you? Because you mentioned like uh, getting the badge number. Does that actually do anything? Can you report uh, a, a grievance or complaint and then yeah. enough of those will get you in trouble? or Definitely. Oh, was... um,
1: there is a public complaints commission, which uh, you can actually basically uh, write to and you know, get a complaint started. Usually it starts at uh, the detachment level, so you would uh, be referred back to the um, the actual detachment where that, that officer works, and it'll go up through the ranks and structure and everything until, you know, if a resolution hasn't been resolved within the detachment, it'll go to a complaint's commission, which is external, and then they'll deal with it there, and, you know, usually uh, conflict resolution um, things will happen and things like that so
0: there's got to be situations where you come across somebody with like you know a little bit of marijuana or something like that and the consensus generally speaking with most people is that marijuana is not really that big of a deal so it seems like might be maybe an archaic law and like you know I'm not necessarily saying you have to incriminate yourself but like what are, are, are there certain laws that you just don't feel that are are morally uh, compatible with your views, and if so, what what are some of those, if you can talk about well, that?
1: Well, um, I'll start with, uh, I guess, your m- marijuana thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's probably one thing that we in- encounter a lot. Um, we always catch students with, you know, a couple of joints or whatnot, and they're smoking up. Usually what we'll do is, yeah, we'll arrest them and we'll, you know, give them every opportunity to call a lawyer now that procedural stuff, right? In the end, most of the times, we'll just let them go, saying, you know what, probably not the smartest thing to do, kind of give them a little lecture, saying, you know, you're here at UBC, and yes, we can forward this to UBC, in in which case that they have their own, you know, academic discipline that they could, they could issue, because they... They have a pretty much a no-tolerance level for, for drugs, okay? There's, there's various different uh, ways to deal with that. I mean, not necessarily going through and charging them with criminal... Criminally, I mean, it's... Yeah, it could be done, but... To tell you the truth... When you put a forth a charge for a couple of joints from, of marijuana... The courts and the crown lawyers will look at it and say there's more important things than two joints. And usually, it'll come back to us saying we're not forwarding these charges because it's not worth the time to go to court with four. Right. And they already have a huge file load, and they have more serious matters that are that are much more important than two joints.
0: So what is the current law on marijuana in Canada? Is is it a general federal law or is there a different... It's still still a federal law.
1: Um, We're still on the stance that marijuana is illegal. Wasn't it
0: decriminalized at some point? At least uh, locally in in Vancouver or
1: somewhere? No. Okay. Technically, it's not. Uh, However, people are... They have... Basically, they're saying that... uh, You know, if you have marijuana and you're smoking it, you know, a couple of joints or, you know, personal use kind of thing, then most of the times it'll be, you know, no case, nothing kind of deal. If you have like a baggie of it and it starts getting bigger, right, and you have little other little baggies to split it off with and you could get trafficking charges or, you know, um, possession for purpose of trafficking. And that that kind of deal, right? I mean, it's still illegal, but I think a lot of uh, police officers will see that and say, you know, probably not the best idea to have marijuana, right? And, you know, let them off, take it,
0: seize it, destroy it, right? Do you think that's a law that will
1: eventually get repealed? I couldn't tell you. Um, That's really government uh, issues, right? I mean, I've, I've... Pretty sure you've heard of uh, the states there, Washington decriminalizing um, marijuana there uh, just recently. Um, the problem with that is actually it's a very unique issue that they have now because federally uh, marijuana is still criminal, but state, the like the state of Washington, they've decriminalized that. And basically, what will happen is if, if um, say say a city cop in Washington pulls you over and you have marijuana, they'll probably let you off because it's decriminalized now. However, if you got pulled over by a state trooper, which is a federal police and you had that same bag of pot, they could charge you, even though you're in Washington, where it is decriminalized. That that seems a bit weird, right? which Which is the unique situation that they're in, because federally, it's still criminal, but in that state, they've decriminalized it.
0: But aren't there um, like places down on like Beatty Street where they sell um, marijuana paraphernalia and they allow you to smoke weed in the back
1: of the, the shop? How do they get away with that? Well, technically, selling paraphernalia is not really illegal. It's almost like um, radar detectors or laser detectors, jammers. Are those right? illegal? Those are illegal. But they don't; they're not illegal to sell. Okay. So if you buy one and use it, and you're caught with it, yeah, you could be charged with
0: it. But what's the penalty? Is it a monetary fine, or is there community service or jail time? Or
1: I don't re- remember actually. Uh, however, I believe that they uh, are allowed to seize it, and we could um, take it because you're using it for that purpose of you know trying to. I guess that's the word I'm trying to look for. Um use technology
0: to hide your criminal activity. Basically. Something like yeah. that. Yeah,
1: or tamper with our investigation. Right. Of, right. right. So So um
0: yeah, it seems like in in a in a kind of government you have a certain amount of people that are in charge, uh, you know, and they represent They're, sh- you know, and they get elected in, this is the idea they get elected in. They're supposed to represent the voice of the people. And the reason why they do that is because it's more efficient. You can't have, you know, 30 million people get together and decide on certain issues. So you represent certain people and all that kind of stuff. However, when you have a such a large percentage of the population that does not agree with a certain law, that is only upheld by the government, it seems a little weird, right? That's like, you know, being stranded on a deserted island, there's 30 of us, and two people get to tell us what to do. It's like, oh, you you can't build a fire there. You can't, you know, smoke that weed. It's like, this makes no sense. This should be what the people want. And if you talk to most people, generally speaking, they are, you know, pretty cool on marijuana. So... I'm not a marijuana user, but I'm a marijuana advocate in the sense that I don't see why it's illegal. In the sense that it has so many benefits, and yet uh, there's other things like cigarettes, which have 599 chemical additives in it that kill people every year. And and, and alcohol, is it just like a cultural thing? Like the reason why alcohol is illegal is because it's inherent in our culture, and, and marijuana has always been illegal it seems like this will eventually become legalized, right? It seems like it has to be, there's no way that like in 2012, the uh, people that are elected in government, what is their motivation for keeping something like that
1: illegal? Do you, do you have a theory on that? Well, technically I, I really don't, but it could be just because, you know, of tradition, right? It's been passed on through law since who knows how long, right? And, you know, it, it's kind of like how sometimes you go to different states and you find out, oh, they've got this weird law where, oh, you can't, you know, have your duck across the road right, right. at a certain time of the day, right? And, you know, back then, probably there's a reason for that. And now that, you know, time has passed, now it's kind of shifting towards a different kind of mindset. It doesn't really apply anymore. And it kind of is outdated. And I think that's the general reason for that. And you know what? I personally, I would think that, yeah, marijuana is going to be decriminalized in the future, whether it be, you know, next month or 10 years down the road. I don't know. But, you know, it probably will be decriminalized. But it just seems like there's just so much public
0: support for this this product. And the politicians know this, right? I've seen them speak on it. And even cops in really high up positions, they say, yeah, it's not a matter of if it'll become legalized; it's a matter That's of fine, when. Yeah. But if everybody is on board with it, I mean, what's the big deal? Why don't we just make it legal? It's it has a lot of benefits in terms of um, not, like the non psychoactive mm-hmm. benefits. Not not to mention those like medicinal purposes. Mm-hmm. But but isn't it uh, legal for people to use it medicinally in, in BC or Canada?
1: Well, it's it's not illegal unless you like you have to have a card. Uh, which oh, signifies... so it is possible to get cards, and yeah, and that uh, you you actually have to apply for it, and not very many people get it, um, due to you know them being not eligible for it
0: because because they have the same kind of thing in California, and from what I know about California, everyone gets it. They're just like, oh, I have anxiety, or I get stage fright, I or I get you know. The, the, I have headaches or something. The the, the cops or the um, doctors those hand them out to anybody who applies. Essentially, mm-hmm. you don't have to have a good reason because they know it's a bunk law. Yeah. Is that kind of like? It sounds like it's not that way in Canada. It's or? not
1: like that in uh, here. Okay, um, you actually have to have a valid doctor's uh, report that will give you that um, ability. I, I think it's more of something that you have to prove that you need it. And that'll benefit you. Well, for example, somebody who's got, you know, cancer, chronic, um, you know, pain, stuff like that, right? You have to have it legitimately, um, like, uh, diagnosed and um, before you can actually get, uh, you know, that card to, uh, you know, have marijuana. I know that there's a lot of people who think they have a card, which is from, um, you know... Those dispensaries uh, downtown. Those there's actually a actual card that we the government issues, not these dispensary places downtown. <laughs> so those cards don't mean anything? Means nothing to us. We we seize them and we take them all the time. And they say like we, we ask them it's like, Oh we ask them it's like, Oh why do you think you can have this marijuana? And then he's like, Well, I have a card for it and they produce these things. And we look at it, we're like, this is nothing to do with, nothing to do with, you know, legally being able to have marijuana. So,
0: so do the cops? Ever, like, I don't know if you can answer this or whether you know, but I mean, there has to be a certain percentage of cops that are just corrupt, that are working for, um, you know, organized crime, or they plant evidence, or they destroy evidence, or they manipulate the facts. There's, there's got to be, right? I mean, just human nature. Uh, have you ever come across an is- an instance like that where, uh, y- you know, y- you see like a a bunch of cops maybe like holding up an armored truck or something? <laughs> like obviously, maybe not that extreme, but some some mm. institutes like where it seems like your morality is kind of called into question. It's like, wow, this doesn't seem right. But you know, uh, but it goes so deep, you really have no one to complain to. I, I-, I watch a lot of movies, and maybe that doesn't actually happen. But
1: well. Um... So far, I think it's a good thing that I say that I've never, ever seen that personally, and I hope that I never will. Um, that's, I think that's a pretty serious thing. Like, uh, I'm not sure if you heard about uh, recently, um, <clears throat> there was a VPD officer um, that was charged with um, drug trafficking, extortion, and all that stuff. He was actually um, taking marijuana from the drug lockers, uh, VPD, um, and basically selling it. And he definitely got um, the boot, uh, for sure, and uh, no longer an officer. and faces charges and jail time. And I think that's what reality is. It's, I mean, that kind of thing... Yeah, you do see it in some other countries, you know, you you, you probably will see it, you know, elsewhere, like Mexico or, you know, another country where, yeah, they use money to bribe office, like police officers and everything, right. But here, I think it's a little different. Um, It's more, more regulated. And there's more safeguards for that kind of thing. I will what i think is safeguards right so right
0: yeah i think it's because it's not like built into the culture because you know some of the friends i have from uh, the philippines for instance say it's so easy uh, bribing cops is just part of the culture yeah uh so if you are a cop and you get caught taking a bribe there's not really a lot of consequences but in here there's a lot at stake if somebody slips you 200 bucks to look the other way and you get caught. There's so much at stake. You could lose your job, your reputation. Yep. And why would you do that for 200 bucks? Exactly. Because because they're probably going to come down harder
1: on you in Canada than they would Mexico mm-hmm. or. Well, I think it's also the culture too, right? I yeah. Mean, just like you said, um, I think a lot of uh, police officers in Asian countries they they're not very highly regarded. Right. They're kind of like bottom of the barrel kind of job, and you know it's not regarded oh you know like like here in the north american countries where oh you're a police officer you have authority and you know you're you're an authority figure i think it's a little different um just the culture wise right right so
0: do you ever feel disappointed with the legal system because um there's this one instance when i was in burnaby uh i i was a passenger in a car and um I got let out, like, in, in mid kind of traffic. I, I jump out of the street, and I was going to run in and grab uh, some food that we had called ahead to, like, order for takeout, and this, like, cr- crazy lunatic got in front of the vehicle and started, like, you know, um, just preventing the car from going forward, right, so I asked him if he had, if, if there was a problem, right, because, you know, it was my girlfriend in the car at the time, and I didn't want her to, to feel unsafe, so... He came toward me and, uh, you know, tried to attack me. And then I went into the the store. This guy followed me into the store. Uh, they called the police and they arrested him. And I say they uh, they basically took my statement. I say, yeah, I would like to file charges, right? Because you know we're trying to run a society here, and this is exactly the type of people we don't want to treat. People that are lunatics. He didn't harm me, but he easily could have. You know, uh, this guy's a lunatic. And. You know, it should be noted somewhere that, you know, this incident happened. And the cop says, you know, uh, you're within your right to do that, but I advise you not to do that because it's basically going to be a big pain in the ass for you. This is She didn't really say this, but this is kind of what she insinuated. It's going to be a really big pain in the ass to you. You're going to go to the court, blah, 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 and nothing's going to happen to this guy. He's drunk, and it's, let's just do our job. We'll put him in the drunk tank, and this we'll all forget about this. But in my opinion, I mean, he should he should be punished in some way for for doing that, right? For making another citizen feel unsafe, right? Mm -hmm. And
1: rightfully so. I I hear where you're coming from. And, you know, it's not without consequence that, yeah, he he was arrested and put in the drunk tank. Because every time you deal with the police, like I said before, there's uh, records of it. And if this guy was drunk and he was arrested, placed in jail, that actually affects, will, will actually show up on his current record check. Okay. So it is considered a negative interaction for him. Right. Right. And it could potentially, um, potentially screw up his um, opportunity. A job application. Exactly. Like exactly. Passport, because, maybe. because of this little thing that, you know, you called in. Right. right. I mean, that's a lot of people don't realize that. When they, when, when they do interact with an officer saying, oh, I suggest you not to, um, the reason behind that is probably because you didn't actually get hurt, right? Uh, there were very, very little, um, I guess, criminal elements, um, it, like opposed to somebody getting actually assaulted and beat up and broken nose, black eye, you know, that kind of thing right yes we're minimizing it slightly because due to file loads and court weights and um, that kind of thing because when like like I said before two joints probably won't make it as far as courts right right same deal Um, court system is already overloaded as is and it takes almost a year for some traffic tickets to be disputed right and This is part of just the legal system not doing its job because of how it is run right now. And if we had a better legal system, it probably would run a little smoother. And, you know, perhaps that could even make it towards being charged, right, instead of minimizing it.
0: Yeah, there's this one instance where I read in the newspaper this guy had 180 prior convictions for petty crimes and assaults and burglaries and thefts and that kind of stuff. I mean, why is this guy still in the street? And he got arrested for some major crime. It's like he has 180. So that means some judge sat and stared at this file with 179 prior convictions. This guy's a career criminal. And they said, you know what, they didn't really do much. They just let him go. And he went out and and did more crime. I mean, Mm -hmm. is that a failure of the system? What's going on
1: there? I personally feel that it is, uh, because sometimes we deal with the same people for the same things time after time after time. And it's just like one guy that I had arrested before, and this guy keeps on going to the same places, keeps on stealing things. We arrest him time after time, he gets, you know, a few months jail and then he's booted out again. Um, I think it's just the legal system and the prison system. It's just right now, it's just completely overloaded. There's just not enough resources to deal with all these things. Right. Um, I mean, we've recently in the past, like 10 years, I think we've shut down a prison as well. Uh, and. Even more recently, our mental health uh, facility in Coquitlam, Riverview Hospital, is actually being shut down. So a lot of these people, criminals, um, have mental uh, handicaps and abilities to sometimes think about what's right and wrong is not there. And we're unable to deal with them because all these mental health Facilities are shutting down as well, as well as our prison systems being overloaded. Um, I'm not sure if you heard about um, recently, but um, I, I think it's been in the news a couple times in the in the last like few years, where our prison systems are pretty pretty full as is. Is that a case of too many laws? Couldn't you just make things uh, less things illegal? Well. That, that's the thing there's there's always a balance between government laws and criminal like all that stuff like I don't know how they deal with it but you know with laws it takes a while to get into being an actual law because it has to go through so many different stages and levels of government and, and uh, people voting on it and you know that kind of deal like, I'm I'm not familiar with it, but I'm assuming it takes a while for new laws to change or, you know, added or taken away. Right, so. yeah. And then there's probably
0: certain things that are deemed as not a high priority, like the duck law. Mm-hmm. There's, you know, for instance, your duck's crossing the street. Nobody's going to waste Congress's time with that, for yeah, instance, so it just yeah. stays in the books. Yeah, it's but, kind of like that. But right there now. might be something that's like, you know, yeah like how how come like um, um, how come people are allowed to panhandle downtown well like the cops don't bother those people but it's such a nuisance I used to live downtown and they're everywhere and they bother you and sometimes they get aggressive with you and, 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 and a lot of times they are belligerent they're drunk and they're causing a scene mm.
1: what's up with that? I think it's coming down to where uh, people have gotten kind of turn a blind eye to it. I mean, yeah, you see a lot more people like at city, like streets, just walking down the when, when people like they're stopped at the stoplights with their, their signs saying, you know, spare some change, spare some change, right? right? I, I think it's just the culture. It's kind of shifted. You know, people like, you know, this is kind of normal, like everyday kind of thing that we see now. And I don't think it's too, too much of a problem that a lot of people perceive it as right and it's more of a petty thing than than serious right i mean unless the panel handler handler starts to get aggressive and you know yeah and like you said there's
0: no real it. solution because you either lock them up which causes the taxpayers a yeah. lot more money so than
1: comes full circle again, yeah right
0: so, I mean, what is your, have you ever been in, um, uh, on, I guess you probably wouldn't be in the downtown East side since that's Vancouver PD, right? Mm-hmm. That, I mean, that must be terrifying to, to be a police officer there just driving through that. It's, uh, it looks, it's skid row by, you know, by any definition. And it's like just tons of people hanging out, probably up to no good, uh, probably addicted to drugs. But but when you drive through it, there's just kind of people that are down and out, and I mean, that that must be dangerous to work there. Say like you get a shift. I don't know what your shifts are. You get like a you're there there at three a.m. I mean, nothing's going on that's going to be good at three a.m. Right? Some mm-hmm. somebody's going to be high on meth and they have
1: a, a bone to pick with you, or you know what I mean? Like there, there's mm-hmm. got to be lots of violence toward. I've I've actually talked to some. Um... VPD officers that do have worked down there and they say you know most of the times there's really no problems if you talk to people down there they're they're still humans right they're still people they're just uh, you know trying to I guess live right with what they have and whether it be drug addiction or alcohol or whatever it is and in the end it's not a matter of really if it's dangerous down there or not, but you're still doing your job, right? Because there are still are people who need help down there. And, you know, I think I, I watched a video of a um, police officer that uh, does some um, foot patrols down, down, downtown East side there. And, you know, after a while you get to know these people, right? There's still people there's yeah it's it's probably a shell of what they used to be but you know there's still i guess you could say some human left down there right i mean it's it's just when you see that it's regular person driving through they say oh it's you know this is bad part of town you know it's dangerous but you know if you live down there or you work down there I think you get a feel of what's dangerous and not because you there's certain areas where you wouldn't walk right but as a police officer you have to go down those those places
0: but you're also in uniform and you have a gun so people are not necessarily gonna
1: attack you right yeah it's not necessarily that somebody's gonna come at you because just because you're a police officer right most of the times they'll be you know asking you know oh you know what are you doing down here and you know I haven't seen you. you know you guys where were you last week when uh, you know I had my uh, cart stolen by somebody right things like that I think it's more of just getting to know the the people in the area right being a police officer I don't think uh, makes that big of a difference working down there as opposed to working in you know Caresdale right really I, you know, there's different, different, um, different risks, but not not necessarily something that's I, I would perceive as different. So, what situation have you
0: been in? Um, I would imagine like a, a college party where there's drunk football players. That could be uh, a little unnerving because these guys are 250 pounds yeah. and they're drunk. Uh, I mean, that might be difficult to deal with, more so than maybe a a crackhead.
1: Exactly. Like, I perceive being at a frat party surrounded by hundreds of students more dangerous than being downtown Eastside with, you know, the homeless guy or, you know, a couple of uh, druggies, right? Yeah, there's risks to both, but from my point of view, I see that being at a party surrounded by all these students is more dangerous just, just by what they can do, right? As opposed to, you know, your homeless guy downtown,
0: right? Have you ever heard of, um, the term agent provocateur? I have not. It's basically where you have, um, a peaceful assembly, like a protest. I used to live downtown. There's protests every day pretty much. And, uh, what you have is plainclothes officers they go cause trouble. They smash windows and they start trouble, it allowing for the police to justify going in there and start breaking things up mm-hmm. and arresting everybody. This seems, and that's there's there's lots of evidence to suggest that's happening on uh, on the internet um, in mm-hmm. terms of Occupy Wall Street, right? Uh, where there's like you know um, you know officers that they have photos of them like in plain clothes throwing rocks through windows. And then the next day they'll be in uniform, and you can see the same boots and the same face. It's is exactly the same person. Mm-hmm. And this and and the, I guess the the critic will say, oh yeah, they're designed to go in there to cause problems in an otherwise peaceful assembly, to arrest people. That seems uh, unconstitutional, mm-hmm. right? Or I guess we don't we don't have a constitution, right? We have a a charter. Charter. Yeah. Yeah, but but whatever. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. Um, that's a.
0: So first of all, I don't know if you can comment, but does that happen? And if so, that has to be that has to be illegal. You can't. You should be able to do that, right? I don't
1: think I've ever heard of that happening here in Canada, but from now that you mention it, I kind of have uh, I have heard of it uh, happening, and like all the um, like all the evidence that's online that you see that oh. You know, people have taken pictures and they circle, oh, this guy's wearing army boots. Uh, Right, exactly. All these, uh, you know, looks like he's got army pants on or, you know, police style pants, balaclavas and stuff like that. You know what? It could, it could potentially be that it does happen, but I've never seen it happen here. And I've never heard of like a, a specialized unit that actually does that. So, I mean... Does it happen? I can't tell you. And I wouldn't know. Right. Um, But I do think that's kind of as well underhanded. Uh, Just like before. Right. I mean, that that to me is completely wrong. Um, It just doesn't seem like it's uh, something that should be done. Right. It seems like maybe the motivation to do that would be to break up
0: some interest group that has an agenda. That's contrary to some corporation, let's like, say, like you know, mine in a certain place, or, or or do something that benefits them financially, and then you have a group of people that are protesting that, like so. So you're saying, no, we don't want that, we're against that, and you ha- and then it seems like the cops would go in there for no other reason to break this up, to break this dissension up, because it's bad for this corporation. So it almost seems like this corporation's got its hands in the police department's paying them. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you can't as far as I know, you can't hire a police officer, right? Not so, that I know
1: of.
0: but that could be a mm-hmm. way to to silence the crowd. like I mean if you' take in any sort of political science, there's tons of political theorists that say the best uh, way to, to ensure our freedom is to have freedom of speech and freedom of peaceful assembly and protest mm-hmm. and and to challenge the government. Mm-hmm. When you're, when you're strict to that right by being arrested um, arbitrarily you know, seems like one of the most corrupt things you could do because it's inherently against what this country stands for, right? It's
1: almost unpatriotic, Mm -hmm. right? It's almost like uh, going against the morals that, you know, everything's built on. Right. Right. I mean, it just goes against a person's natural instinct because it's, oh, you're sending people in there to cause trouble so that you can stop it, Right. To me, it doesn't really make sense to do that because if people are there and they're peaceful, why why would you even try to, you know, incite a riot or right. kind of trouble, right? If they're doing it peacefully, let them be, right? It, they're not harming anyone. It's when people start doing that is when we have problems because people will well the vancouver Canucks riot yeah it's, you have- it's a mob mob mentality right yeah. once you have a couple people you know going to do something like oh a couple of people start smashing windows and like oh we're in such a big crowd i'm not gonna get caught right and that's the mentality so everyone starts to you know pick up stuff and you know start it gets worse and worse because more and more people think okay well he's doing it
0: but what does that say about humanity or at least you know the citizens of this country it's like you're only behaving civil and you're only obeying the law because you don't want to get caught but if there is a a low chance of getting caught your natural inclination is to to cause to break something or to steal something that seems like the 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 civility just erodes so quickly yeah. It doesn't say... It doesn't boast well for our species, right? Mm-hmm. Or for, for human nature, at least in this city. I mean, maybe other people are not like that, but... um, And, and, and to be fair, it's probably a lot of... It's, maybe it's a lot mm-hmm. fueled by alcohol. Maybe it's a lot of young people that mm-hmm. maybe are impulsive. They act without yeah. kind of foresight or reason. But but that could be kind of scary, right? You
1: probably weren't in that situation since you were... No, I wasn't. That's not However, your... I was downtown. Okay. <laughs> actually, when when the riot actually happened. um, And I saw... Basically, how how quickly it went downhill. Um, I was actually at Queen Elizabeth, Elizabeth Theater, and we were inside, kind of locked in there because the riot was happening, and you could basically see the crowd turning from from my position there. I you could see the people just all of a sudden you see you know people just uh, you know cheering and going, and then all of a sudden you would see one side of the street would be police and the other side would be the crowd. And it was just getting pushed, like, kind of, I guess, they were trying to disperse them. And you could just hear glass breaking. You could hear, like, the uh, tear gas and everything being shot out. I, I think it's a lot to do with peer pressure and what what kind of group that you're in. Because in psychology, if you have... An apartment building of, say, you know, 30 people. And they see somebody getting beat up on the street below. All 30 of them see that. And the guy's yelling for help. People will just watch. Nobody will call the police. Because they think, oh, somebody else should be doing it. It's not right. my problem. Right? And it's still that mob mentality. Right? It's... it's it's funny how society works when you're influenced by others, right? Especially in a large crowd, because I don't know if if you're, you know, in a large crowd, mo- like movie theater or something like that, and somebody starts to clap, you're more inclined to clap, right? 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 It, it kind of follows that kind of progression, you know. I think that's the same type of mentality like for that
0: so you're not you're not saying that people are necessarily bad not necessarily but bad but it's in just a group include, mentality yeah. things can change um, That can change they, they can influence uh, people to do things they might otherwise not do if they're exactly uh, acting alone exactly so that's interesting how come people like the cops don't go after corporate crime is it just very difficult to, to catch them well
1: it's not that we don't go after them it's usually it takes a lot more uh, time and effort to actually uncover that kind of crime. Is it because it's so complicated? Most of the times, yes, because uh, like even even with, with us here in, in Vancouver, there's specifically um, corporate crime units that deal with businesses and corporations that you know fraudulently do transactions or any kind of like that kind of crime. And usually that stuff is very complicated because of company laws and, you know, corporate law and they're dealing with lawyers all the time to make sure that all of the stuff that they have done is legal and, you know, not part of like a, you know, contract or something that's, um, you know, done actually legitimately, right? So it's, and to tell you the truth, corporate kind of. Criminals and stuff like that doesn't really sell, if, if you know what I mean. Like, media and everything, unless it's a huge company or corporate uh, business, doesn't really sell. Like, oh, okay, well, company defrauded, you know, another company, $20,000, right? It's not...
0: But the police aren't pandering to the media. Not, not usually. So, because yeah. it doesn't sell, it should not really dictate what you guys go after no. and for, as far as I can, from what I know, uh, which is n- next to nothing. But, um, I heard that, um, you know, the police, uh, send people to business school, send officers to business school specifically to be trained, to be educated, to look, to know what to look for. Cause you wouldn't necessarily know what to look for unless you're, you're educated in that way. Yeah. But then the police come out of that after a four year degree to get their MBA and they think, well, Hey, why am I working as a cop when I could make three times as much in business? So mm-hmm. They just leave and they work for the companies. This happens uh, with the uh, uh, like in the in the states. The whole subprime mortgage uh, crisis. You have mm-hmm. really complicated transactions, things that like you know uh, Goldman Sachs were doing, where they're well. It, it's not just Golden, Goldman Sachs, but um, if you're familiar with the the so are you familiar with the subprime uh, mortgage crisis? A little bit. You got a bunch. Essentially, you got a bunch of people that don't in America that don't qualify for mortgages. So what the banks do is they lower their uh, standards for uh, who qualifies for mortgage. So they are dishing out mortgages to people mm-hmm. that would otherwise not qualify. Yeah. Uh, and they're giving them million dollar properties when they might make 30 grand. They say, mm-hmm. Oh, don't worry about it. We'll keep the payments low. They they deliberately get people in over their head. And the reason why they do that is because immediately as, they, as soon as they sign the mortgage, they sell it to uh, somebody like F- uh, Freddie Mac or Fannie Mae, this other mortgage um, security. So, the the you know the J P Morgans or the Citibanks they're not on the hook for the mortgage anymore they mm-hmm. sold it so anyway and then this company uh, splits it up in complicated ways and and, and um, they have a, a form of security what's called a mortgage backed security so mm-hmm. uh, they trade the this derivative uh, on the open market as a stock and they sell it as AAA meaning it's the best and and then companies like Goldman Sachs they promote this they sell it as AAA yet they uh, do you know what short selling is. A little bit, yeah. Short selling is basically, uh, in layman's terms, where you make money if the stock goes down. So, mm-hmm. uh, the, this, you know, Goldman Sachs will sell the uh, the this bunk, you know, derivative to all their clients to push up the, the stock price, and then uh, when the stock price is really high, uh, they they basically sell their their shares. The the stock um, immediately collapses because everyone figures out that, you know, uh, you know people are foreclosing. These are not AAA. They're garbage. They're mm-hmm. junk. And then the stock plummets. Goldman Sachs rebuys back all the shares, uh, and and they make billions of well, I don't know about billions, but they make a lot of money. But mm. yet nobody goes to jail over that. Why is that? Mm. It's it seems like they deliberately crippled the economy for their own profit. That there's nothing that's more criminal than that. And it mm. affected the whole like it affected everybody, right? It's, it seems like that might be what you'd want to go after. But then they give them bailouts. You may, maybe can't speak on this because it's mm-hmm. uh, it's in America, but mm-hmm. um, and they give these people money.
1: Yeah,
0: that that just does some, seems backwards, right? Is that something that the police should go after? I mean, if not the police, who is there another high? Really, because we don't, don't have a CIA or FBI from for Canada, do we? No, like I don't I an think equivalent. we do. No,
1: what's the highest level RCMP? Right? Uh, we do have uh, secret police intel. It's called CSIS. I'm not sure if you've heard of it. it, it I don't. I don't know of it. So CSIS is uh, like basically the uh, CIA or of of Canada, and that's they they do their. I, I don't even know what they really do, really. It's a secret. Um, yeah. So so they do a lot of uh, background stuff and um, what I like to call secret squirrel kind of um, you know operations and stuff. So but. I don't know like would that be considered something that the police would go after because is it really breaking any laws I don't know right it's a question that I I always ask because with being a police officer you're always looking for criminal um, matters Um, for example if we are dealing with somebody's custody issues that's not a criminal matter that's a civil matter so we would try to stay away from that because it's not our problem right that's that's between two people right Um, if it was you know assault that's a criminal matter we would deal with that right and I think the law does specifically say to a point where what is criminal What is not And what we should investigate And For us you, you could almost say that You know The criminal code of Canada Is the The bible For Deciding whether or not to Proceed with investigations If it fits these elements Of a criminal Element Then That's what we go for Right That's what we Investigate towards And um, To basically say this is a criminal uh charge that can be laid and charged with and somebody can be charged with it versus oh i don't think it meets everything that this says it is right and that's how we really decide on whether to proceed with uh criminal charges most of the times so i mean like you're saying, is it really criminal charge for, for that kind of thing? I don't know. Maybe it ought to be. It's just not yeah. written in law yet. Yeah. I mean, for for states, like after their, their basically economy crash, is it maybe something that um, they should modify, right? So.
0: Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, maybe this is a good time to wrap it up. Thank you so much for uh, for being on my podcast. I really appreciate it, man. Yeah. Thank you for listening to the Edward Mullen podcast. If you enjoyed it, you might like to check out my books, The Art of the Hustle and Destiny and Free Will.